It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from the first one with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is the first one. I talk to the most iconic artists on the planet about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland, who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to being overlooked to being overbooked. Join me every Thursday, only on Amazon Music. Who they think you're gonna beat them bangles? It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. It's Wednesday, which means you're probably listening to this on Thursday, which of course means it's mailbag day. We'll get to your questions in segments two and three, but we want to catch you up on the latest news and notes out of Paul Brown Stadium with Zach Taylor, again addressing the media today. The Bengals return to practice, and we have injury updates. The surprise back in practice today was William Jackson, who was expected to be out for several weeks, but was a full participant after just one week sitting out with a shoulder injury. The other guy back in practice today who we weren't sure we would ever see in a Bengals uniform again was Cordy Glenn, who was listed as a full participant, but according to beat writers, was seen practicing with the practice squad or the scout team to start things in practice. We don't know if he ever got reps with the first team as things went on, as that was, if it did happen, after the media left the open part of practice. And so far, it sounds like the Bengals, for the first time maybe all year, are having some good luck with injuries. William Jackson miraculously coming back as a full participant this week uh, was something I did not expect. Originally, we were looking at three to four weeks uh, that were the reported timetables. And with Cordy Glenn actually being on the roster right now, with one week to go, before the trade deadline. I think we have to be aware of that. But if he can play, if he can help the team, it also sounds like Andre Smith, who was manning left tackle before John Jerry was a limited participant today, they're getting healthy, and surprisingly. They're getting healthy in a few positions, and then not so much in other spots. Carlos Dunlap was limited in practice today. Carl Lawson still didn't come back to practice. They re-signed Anthony Zettel and let Damian Willis go because they need that defensive end depth. And it's worth noting as well, actually, Anthony Zettel was quite good for the Bengals last week. He was our top-graded defender, in fact, on 30-some-odd snaps against Jacksonville. So here's a guy who came in off the street, was playing inside, playing defensive tackle in the nickel when he had to. That's a versatile piece that isn't necessarily a bad thing for the Bengals to keep around, especially if they are actually looking to make some trades. Right, and that's the thing. Are they looking to make trades? Uh, It seems like cutting Damian Willis, somebody they want to bring back in some capacities, as Zach Taylor said, maybe that's the practice squad. It seems like they like all 53 on their roster. 
depending on what you think about Cordy Glenn and what they think about him. Yeah, the Cordy Glenn issue is going to be a hot one to watch. Just listening to Zach Taylor's tone talking about it, he didn't seem to have any interest in talking about Cordy Glenn, whereas you compare that with Jay Gruden. He was asked repeatedly in Washington about the status of Trent Williams, and he always said things like, you know what, we'd love to have him back. We're ready to have him back. We're working on getting him back. You know, he he was more positive about his missing starting left tackle, whereas Zach Taylor's like, you know what, this is a disciplinary matter. I don't want to talk about it at all. And and you can't talk to Cordy Glenn. So it sounds like Cordy Glenn was dodging media a little bit today, if you believe what you read on Twitter. After the open locker room part of the day, he just went straight to the cafeteria. So no reporters had a chance to talk to him. So while the Bengals got good news on William Jackson returning to practice, Darquez Denard was on the rehab field after playing the entire game last week for his first time seeing football action in nine months. So um, maybe he just tweaked his hamstring uh, playing too many snaps. And it looks like B.W. Webb was seen carrying a football in practice today because he dropped those two interceptions last week. I feel like it's got to be really hard. I've never tried catching a football with a cast on my hand because I've never had to have a cast on my hand, but I feel like it's got to be incredibly difficult to squeeze a football when you have one hand and then the other thing is kind of this rigid cast where you maybe get a couple fingers in there, but you can't use your whole hand. You know what I think it's like? You ever play in really cold temperatures or, you know, snow and you're really bundled up and you're even your hands have got these huge mittens on them and they're frozen. You still it's hard to catch the ball, but you still find a way to do it. I could not catch with gloves. Um, football gloves I could catch with, but just regular winter gloves or mittens. There's no way I played. If I did play in the cold, I was wearing football gloves or no gloves because otherwise I just couldn't play the game. And also, if your hands are stone anyway, then that's probably how it's like for B.W. Webb. Well, right. I mean, he is a cornerback, and you know what they say about cornerbacks. Right. They play it because they can't catch. It's such a trite saying, and I don't think it's necessarily always true, but it's probably more true than it's not true. So if B.W. Webb can learn how to catch with a cast on in time to go to London tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening, on Thursday... That'd be good news for the Bengals and maybe bad news for Jared Goff, who has been struggling similarly to Andy Dalton this year. This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out, the nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? 
No, nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with my bookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close. So you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway, all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Well, we got questions for the Lockdown Mailbag, and if your question wasn't picked this time, it's because we had a lot of similar questions about mostly the future, rebuilding, the draft, quarterback, kind of just picked the one that covered it the most, and and we'll go from there. First question is from RWR underscore Will. It says, Bengals seem settled at wide receiver and running back. How quickly can this offense be turned around? Yeah, that's a good point. And I would say that they're pretty well set at tight end too. Like it's not a pressing need. They've got CJ Uzama, who was pretty good last year, had almost 500 yards catching the ball, has been explosive this year in his limited opportunities. And then they have a second round pick that hypothetically should be a serviceable player in the future. Tyler Rayford, obviously you don't count on. He looks like he's lost a little bit of his athleticism anyway. And he's a prime trade candidate. I'm sure we'll talk about that later on in the episode. But to answer your question, well, yeah, if they're settled at at the skill positions, what do you need? You need to solidify the offensive line. Okay, you've got Jonah Williams coming in at left tackle next year. You feel okay about Trey Hopkins at center. So you hypothetically definitely need a left guard. That's been a problem spot for the Bengals all year. We'll see if Billy Price can step into that role or not. So you fix the offensive line, and then what do you need? Joe, what's the other position on offense? I well, can't remember. You're, you're beating around the bush here. It is definitely quarterback. Uh, makes the biggest impact. I mean, just even with the same skill position and play calling, which hopefully all of this gets upgraded. Hopefully they can find a way to get more out of Joe Mixon. Hopefully they can find a way to keep Ross and Green healthy if Green's here in the future. Uh, because if not, then, well, the uh, skill positions aren't that exciting at all. There was a lot of... A lot of plays when I pulled up all 22 where even though Erickson's had a big day, Tate had a big day two weeks ago, there's nobody open. You need some of these athletes out there, and I'm talking about Ross and Green, and they got to find a way to somehow get Mixon more involved and let him be an athlete. And even though Dalton, and I talked about this earlier this week when you were away, he threw those three interceptions in the fourth quarter. It looked really bad. He actually had a couple of really nice throws. Oh, yeah. I just want to make sure this isn't lost in – not that this question has anything to do with Andy Dalton. It just makes me think about the fact that Erickson dropped a deep ball that was perfectly thrown in stride. Boy One of dropped, best throws all year. Yeah, it was a great throw. Boy drops uh, an intermediate route like on a third and long on the right side of right sideline. So some of his best throws of the game were dropped. His two interceptions were unforgivable. And then the screen, you could argue, I think that that's still a bad choice. He, he, he really floats it. And even if Geo gets around 
Anyway, you need a new quarterback. You've seen this all over the NFL, right? You've seen guys come in. Right now you're seeing it in Arizona to some degree. Given two of those games were against the Bengals and the and the Falcons that have really bad defenses, but Kyler Murray starting to right the ship in Arizona with Cliff Kingsbury. And what about Zach Taylor, who's got the NFL experience? Can he figure it out, or do they need to make a move at head coach too? I think that is going to be the big question. We are pretty unanimous in terms of what does the offense need? They need to fix the offensive line. They need a quarterback. Yeah. And then how do you fix the play calling issue? Or does that get fixed with better players? It's hard to know. Yeah. And then we may see some of that if Green and Ross get healthy at the same time and can finish this year. We may see, okay, can they open things a little bit? And if that's the case, then, um, you know, maybe we say, okay, then it's very clear where we can attack and fully upgrade this offense. And then if they make some trades, this is a stacked wide receiver class. Maybe you can address wide receiver, offensive line quarterback in the first two rounds. And Sure. I mean, you need to use free agency. We, we, I, I've said this, and I'm going to beat this drum until April. They need to use free agency because if they don't, it's the same shit that we've seen the last three years. And if they use free agency plus the draft, they can turn this offense around very quickly, and that answers the question. There you go. Next question comes from Gucci Matt, or is it Gucci Mate? You know, like Gucci Mane. Anyway, his question is, he's not familiar with the NFL salary cap, but would, it, would he, but would it be the worst thing in the world if the Bengals just cut Preston Brown? He's shown he has no business being out there, and I'd rather just play the young guys. And Jermaine Pratt, worth noting, was pretty good last week. Yeah, and Preston Brown continues to suck. So, no, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to cut him now. They don't have much depth. They don't have much experience out there after Nick Vigil. So I guess they're valuing that, but at the same time, no. And, and cap-wise, they can get out after this year with very minimal. And I think, to be honest with you, uh, someone brought this up the other day, that Bobby Hart and Preston Brown, the two bad contracts they gave out this offseason, I could see 30 teams in the league getting out from them in this uh, in, in, in this spring. If the Bengals don't, well, it's a strike against them. They should get out of it. They must get out of those contracts. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what they do with those contracts. I think Preston Brown is a real no-brainer, and I think Bobby Hart should be. But at the same time, they might see Bobby Hart as, you know what, he's a valuable backup tackle. Sure. And at this point, he's a good backup tackle. He's He's yeah. been a little bit better this year, and a little bit better for Bobby Hart means good backup tackle, at right tackle right. specifically. I, I don't know if I would trust him at all to play left tackle, uh, given what we've seen from him. On the other hand, maybe they're just hiding him better this year. And so it's hard to say, really, if, if that's the improvement. But he's had less penalties, although there's been a bit of an uptick lately. He's on pace to have more penalties, more pressures, and have a lower grade on PFF. Oh, really? So that's changed, I guess, in the last couple of it weeks. It is, yeah. Okay. Yes. So I take all that back. There's no He's regaining. racked up some penalties. <laughs> yeah, well, you put Alex Redman out there next to him. They're ready to they, go false start, man. They are an um, abusive relationship between them two, right guard, right tackle. Like, we need to split them up. They can't be together. It's like the opposite <laughs> of the bird and the rhinoceros. I have no idea what you're talking about. Symbiotic relationships? Ah, no, see, I'm thinking like uh, Eddie Brock in the, in the Venom symbiote. But anyway, yeah, Tyler opposite. Crow. Yeah, Tyler Crow, next question. Okay. I'll try not to awkwardly word this. I'm sorry, Tyler. I should have skipped that part. Now it's awkward. Would or is the yardage of at running back most often – see, he did awkwardly word this. But what he's asking is, is yards per carry the best way to measure a running back or would it be 
uh, how, how what is the most often yards gained per carry? Mean versus median, right? Well, I thought it was mean versus median, but then he corrected me on my – I remember the hippo and the bird from high school, but I forgot the word mode. And mode uh, yeah. is the most commonly appearing number in a data set. So what we're talking about here is median – or sorry, we're talking about a mean, which is average, versus a mode. And I think that they both have applicability here, right? So there are websites around that you can go find and you'll find running success rate. Yep. And then you'll find stuff like running back yards versus offensive line yards. I think offensive line yards is a football outsiders thing that they do. And then you'll find on pro football focus stuff like yards after contact and, and elusive rating. So missed tackles forced. I think both serve a good purpose. And if you eliminate the big runs, well, then guys that will go, you know, maybe they're three yards per carry, but they're a home run threat, right? And so they do pile up a 40-yard run every other week. Well, you can't just discount that, right? So I think both tools are useful, and, and one isn't necessarily better than the other, but they, they tell different parts of the story. And this is true for all statistics. So when you start looking for the God statistic in football, it doesn't exist, guys. You need right. to use all those things together. A couple of the things that I like to look at, too, in, t- in terms of running back rushing on uh, next-gen stats, uh, efficiency, which they measure in how many yards you run. Uh, be, you know, it, It's like if you run uh, and, and always want to go bounce it around the corner, you're going to end up with a lot of yards on your efficiency. Like Damian Williams from KC averages eight yards per carry that doesn't mean he's gaining eight yards. It means from the point he gets the ball to when he is tackled, he is running for eight yards. Uh, Joe Mixon runs for 4.72 yards, and we know he only averages three, so he is running around a lot. The highest guys in the league are typically in the two-and-a-half to three range, which you want the least amount of yards run before you're actually um, getting across the line of scrimmage. You know what I'm saying? Does this make sense to you, Jake? It's basically, are you avoiding guys behind the line? Are you trying to bounce everything out? It says Joe Mixon is is bouncing everything out. They'll also tell you how often you see eight-plus defenders in the box, and a guy like Alexander Madison leads the league. 40% of the time he's seen eight-plus. That's Minnesota's backup. Frank Gore at nearly uh, just around 38%. Joe Mixon is at the very uh, bottom. Oh, he was. He was past this week. I'm sorry. He's up to near 6%. Now the only two guys below him are Miles Sanders and Chase Edmonds. You wonder why Chase Edmonds is running all over the place for the Cardinals? He only sees eight in the box, 2% of his carries. That was my top waiver claim last week, and the guy that picked him up didn't even play him. Oh, I'm I'm not mad about it. Uh, yeah, I think those are really interesting numbers. The efficiency thing is just telling you what's the ratio of, of east-west yards versus north-south Basically, yards, right? thank you. So, That's the best way to say it. Yeah. Next question comes from Spencer Myers. If the Bengals end up with the number one pick, who do you think they would actually take, not who you think they should take, Joe? I think it's a good way to go into a lot of the questions that we got. And there's a lot of – I wouldn't say there's a lot. There's a, a decent swelling of people that would say – the Bengals aren't going to take a quarterback, even if they picked one or two or three. Are you kidding me? They love Andy Dalton. They'll sign him to an extension, yada, yada. Uh, I don't know why that has to be true. And I don't know why that has to be true for – and people will reference Mike Brown. And I think Mike Brown has taken a quarterback almost every chance he's gotten to take one at the top of the draft when he's picked that high. I mean, you guys bring up the bust of Klingler and, and Achilles Smith, but then Carson Palmer, and then they almost did instead of taking A.J. Green, and they ended up taking Dalton in the second round. But they – 
So, and, and you can take the last two guys they've been successful with. I think it's a quarterback. You say they end up with the top pick, number one. Yeah, they're gonna going to take a quarterback. I don't know if that means two or Burrow or Herbert, but I think it would be one of those three. Yeah, so the last few times the Bengals have been picking, say in the top six, since Carson Palmer is picked first overall. Because after Palmer, it was 26, 17, 24, 18. And then they finally have a top 10 pick. In 2008, they use it on a linebacker. The next year, there's Rivers. Keith Rivers. The next year, they're bad again. And then they have the sixth overall pick this time. And they still have Carson Palmer at this point, so they take Andre Smith. The next time they're picking high is, is when Carson's out. And that's, as you say, Joe, they go A.J. Green, Andy Dalton, because maybe they don't like the quarterbacks at that point, and they love A.J. They scouted Green. them heavy, though. And were cl- yeah. If like Cam Newton was there, they would have taken Cam Newton, from yeah. what I remember. For sure. And then the next time they're picking high... Well, it was, was, I guess, 2017 where you argue, okay, Watson and Mahomes. But, sure, that's I mean, the argument. That's nine, not three. And, and a year after Dalton's best year. Yeah, it's it's right after Dalton. Well, 2015 season. was his best year. 2016 was, you know, his down year. It's 2017 drafts after 16. A full season after his best year, but they still think they have the pieces there, right? They still think Andy yeah. Dalton's good enough. They, they've just signed him to an extension. So... At that point, there's still dead money on Andy's contract, too. At this point, no yep. dead money next year. And if Mike Brown thinks, you know what, the last time we had a good quarterback, he sat for a year behind a, a consummate veteran in John Kitna. Well, who do I have that's a veteran on my team that's under contract next year? Oh, Andy Dalton. So for all Perfect. of you saying they need to fix the offensive line before they draft a quarterback because you don't want to run a quarterback out with this offensive line, well, you don't need to run out the quarterback next year. He can sit right. and learn. And a lot of these guys need to sit and learn. And I know the Bengals like to zig when everyone's zagging in the league, but you look at the top of the draft for as long as you want to look back, and especially the modern, more our generation, right? They draft quarterbacks. It's what happens. It's where they go. Even teams that just drafted a guy, whether it was Cam Newton after they just drafted Jimmy Clausen, whether it was last year after they took Josh Rosen in the first round, they're sitting at number one, they take Kyler Murray. Because the chance to draft the top number one guy, whoever you feel that is, franchises cannot pass it up they can't it doesn't happen very often and that's the way you fix bad franchises as you as is a point you've made quite a bit if you found a hundred dollars on the street would you pick it up or keep walking of course you take the money so why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them that's why i go to my bookie it's fast it's easy and they pay when you win let's face it where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on MyBookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff if by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer that's promo code locked on. Visit mybookie.ag today to play so you win and get paid. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. 
At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. And we're back with more questions. This one's from Robert Foose. He said, for the last week or so, I've been looking at quarterbacks coming out. I'm nuts for Burrow. But the entire quarterback crop seems to be the best we've had in a while. Could we have another draft like 1983? This is before my time, Robert. But he'd like to hear our thoughts on the quarterback class. So looking at the 1983 draft, we had John Elway. I was going to say, I know who the 83 draft is. That was a joke. But the second drafted quarterbacks you know who it was uh todd marinovich todd blackledge oh you thought i almost had that didn't you that was a guess <laughs> and then jim kelly then tony eason and then ken and o'brien no. to to the uh jets at 24 dan marino 27 yeah i mean it's not like these teams are hitting a bunch that's like two, two and a, I guess Jim Kelly's pretty good. That's three, three Hall three, of Famers. Three great quarterbacks that came out of that class. That's yeah. pretty good. You know who's drafted third that year? Tell me. A guy named Kurt Warner, but not that Kurt Warner. Kurt oh, Warner, the running, running back, back from Penn State. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. So I think the quarterback class is really good. I think that there's a big step back that we've seen in the stock for Justin Herbert. Yep. And he hasn't played great this year. All of you that want the Bengals to be bad for two years and and go pick Trevor Lawrence, well, he's not been very good this year either, at least in terms of stats. I haven't watched him much very closely, but not producing at nearly the level he was last year. The guy you probably are looking at next year, especially Bengals fans, has to be Justin Fields. Right. But the quarterbacks this year, you've got Tua, you've got Burrow, who's come out of nowhere. He's 23. That's the only knock. Mm -hmm. Only knock on Burrow is he doesn't have an elite arm and he's 23. So you've got Tua, you've got Eason, you've got Burrow, you've got maybe Jordan Love. Those are your... And then and then at some point, somebody's going to take a shot on Hurts. On Hurts. Oh, oh, Hurts, Herbert. too. Yeah, I was going to say take a shot on Hurts. I think Hurts will probably go second round. I think Love... Love probably still goes second round, if that's the case. He's young. Uh, last year, and I'm talking about Jordan Love from Utah State, last year he looked like a top 10 guy, special arm talent. And I've started watching quarterbacks now, if you haven't can't tell by the way I'm now can talk about him but special arm talent this year he's got seven touchdowns nine picks I'm like you know where's the decision making obviously he's getting no help at Utah State almost and you kind of wonder where that's going to go because like take Tyree Jackson last year who was a freak talent wise and then his senior year sucks and he goes undrafted doesn't even make a team got drafted in the XFL recently so I'm not saying that happens to Jordan Love I just think you know he needs to have a strong finish to this year. But go back to the top. You're right about Burrow not having a great arm, but he is very accurate deep. He's very accurate intermediate. His anticipation, you posted some numbers today or, or a uh, recap of from BFF, and he's number one in those categories. And I think he plays so well within their offense, within LSU's structure, that when I watched six games this week, I was like, oh, my God, he's actually making plays outside of structure. It, it blew me away. That was not the angle I wanted to take when I wrote this article on The Athletic when I did the film thing because I was going to show how good he is within the system. But then the handful of plays he had out of it where he just 
won on that down or took over the end of the game like in Texas, I, I was blown away. And I I'm, end up being a really big fan of Joe Burrow. I hope he plays that way versus Alabama and Auburn and then into a bowl game. And then Tua at the top. I think Tua still is at the top. But he's got the most to lose, I think. He's injured again. That's not a good thing for him, obviously, because he's had injuries uh, the last couple of years. And then he doesn't have, you know, I compare him to Russell Wilson, but he doesn't have that arm. I don't think he's even as athletic as Russell Wilson is. He's kind of a poor man's Russell Wilson. He's very similar in a lot of ways when I watch him. And when things, I, I had a conversation today because uh, he's within structure and he's surrounded by premium talent. So you rarely ever get to see who he is individually, but you see it maybe four or five times a game and you say, okay, that's who I like. I like that guy that can do that. But he's also made a lot of his mistakes this year in those situations. That's also how he got hurt this year. So I think he's more like Deshaun Watson in terms of when he was with Clemson surrounded by premium talent. People were like, is he Taj Boyd? Is he Josh Dobbs? No, Watson ended up being actually much more talented, much more athletic than we got to see at Clemson. And I remember people comparing him to Alex Smith coming out more as a game manager. He's not that. Sean Watson's much more than Smith has ever dreamed of. And I, I kind of feel like Tua has that talent and could be, um, you know, that guy that's even better once he gets in the NFL and he controls the offense and isn't a game manager. They say they designed that offense in LSU around Joe Burrow, so it makes sense that it's working for him. And imagine that, um, designing an offense for your quarterback. Who else has done that lately that's pretty good? I think it's in the AFC North. Oh, yeah, Baltimore. Mm. They're doing all right with an offense designed for a unique quarterback. And I'm not saying Joe Burrow is unique. He's a pretty standard good quarterback as far as that goes. But I think I'm with you still with Tua still being number one. But I think two tightrope surgeries in two years, not the most promising sign. It's going to be concerning for some teams. I think that I remember he had great deep accuracy last year. So that was fun to watch too. I think that barring a dramatic change, he's still got to be the first quarterback off the board in 2020, unless a team really falls in love with Joe Burrow. And maybe it's because they don't like that Tua throws lefty or that he's, I don't know, got all that premium talent around him. Maybe they don't like his size, like Joe, Joe Burrow's size a little bit more. So it could be close for those two. Next question comes from awesome Alex Murphy. Over under three sacks this weekend for Aaron Aaron. Donald. I'm going to go with under, but I, I'll say two. Yeah, I think two. Three is a lot of sacks again. He could have six. But sure. Just taking over three is a bad bet. I mean, three, it just means he dominated. That's a D tackle. I mean, we've seen edge guys hit that five and, and six and weird situations and some greats too. But uh, D tackle to get that would be pretty crazy, even if he got three. I mean, if anybody could, it would be him or J.J. Sure. Watt and J.J. Watt's prime. But I think taking over three, like I said, not, it's just a bad bet. Yeah. So move on to the next question. It's from Stewart at E4 US Vets. He says, hey, Jake and Joe, with the top five pick this year, what are the chances they get Chase Young, who is the edge defender from Ohio State, if you don't know, over a quarterback? He says, I asked because... They say you either have to pass in the league or disrupt the pass. And I believe Chase Young would be a bigger impact for our team than all but Tua. I think that the way they end up drafting Chase Young is only if they are picking three yeah. and two quarterbacks go one and two. Yeah, and it's the two they like. And it's possible they like three and they still say, all right, fine, we'll take Herbert over Young. And okay. But, uh, right, I agree with you. I don't think it happens unless – 
they uh, either one or I guess it's possible they don't like any of these top quarterbacks, right? That could happen. Right. I know. I, right. I know you're making <laughs> Jake doesn't like the sound of that. I guess that is within the realm of possibility. I think it's so low that they take Chase Young and I get it because I'd love to have a Cleo Mack, a Vaughn Miller, a Jadavion Clowney, an elite edge guy. And Chase Young is on that path of, of being that. Uh, so I'd like to have it too, but uh, I'm kind of envious where the Dolphins are, where they can end up with a top three pick and then maybe five, six, or seven right behind that. And they can probably maneuver a little bit and make sure they end up with a quarterback and Chase Young if they end up in that situation. The Dolphins, the Broncos, who's the other team? There's one other team that has a bunch of draft capital going into the next year. There's a few teams. Those two stand out in particular as teams that have really piled up the draft capital. The Falcons just picked up a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu. So, yeah, all these other teams have picked up picks. I'm jealous of all of them, and I wish and I hope that the Bengals make some similar moves. Next question comes from Warrior at WarriorNate99. Are you guys going to London? Did you go to the last one against Washington? And if you haven't been, would you like to? We are not going to London. I have never been overseas i've been in mexico and canada that's the other two countries i've been in but no i would like to i guess uh you know it sounds like a lot of money and a lot of um effort but yeah that'd be fun to do yeah if somebody wanted to send anthony munoz over and give us a surprise trip of a lifetime like they just Uh, gave that super fan and send us to london i'm i'm on board but that is not in the cards anytime soon the Lockdown Podcast does not make that much money. I mean, maybe we could save up the entire season's worth and then we go over, right? Yeah, I mean, if you guys want to donate, what, two grand each, $4,000 or so, we'll, We're there. We'll, we'll make the trip. That's like someone asked if we if the Bengals get the number one pick, would we go to Vegas for that draft? Is I'm it like, in Vegas? Yeah. I'm like, sure. That's That sounds like a good time, too. Vegas or, is or, pretty cheap. Or the... Uh, go to Miami we were offered that and that and might end up being for the number one pick remember we were offered that in the summer uh yeah. that we might have to consider it I if it wasn't so far away for me I think you should go it, I think but, I'll actually be in Florida that week already we're going to Disney at some point in December go to the game well sure uh if if the Bengals get a top two pick and the draft is in Vegas I'll 100% go 100 yeah, it's cheap to get to Vegas, man. They want you there to spend money. Right, so they just get you in there. They want you to gamble. What I would do is I would watch the NFL draft. I'd go see like two Cirque du Soleil shows, and that would <laughs> right. be my weekend. It would be great. I would love it. Right, and they come away with a franchise quarterback, new chapter. Oh, that'd be fun. And get some live content for Lockdown Bengals. Somebody would hook us up with some, some media credentials, right? right? Well, there'd be a lot of Bengals fans, too. You can have a get-up and... Record a podcast with everyone just hanging out. Have a big roundtable of Bengals fans and live mailbag. Exactly. Now that that's an idea. We're on to something here. We are. Thanks, Warrior Nate ninety nine. Yeah, good one. All right, the next one's from Sean Stull, and he's a frequent uh, commenter. But he says tight end is notorious for being hard to adjust to. With people like Austin Hooper going from a non-impact player to a star. I don't know if he's a star, but yeah, he is a good player now. And players like Mike Gusecki finally developing into a player they thought he would be. Do you guys think others are being too hard on Drew Sample? Uh, There's two parts, right? This is a hard question because, he, yeah, he is a rookie tight end, and you don't have high expectations for rookie tight ends. But also, 
he's a very similar player to guys that were picked much later in the draft and are having earlier success. And the example that we're all going to talk about is Dawson Knox, who was a good blocker, ran a 0.2 second faster, ran a 4.5 to Drew Sample's 4.7, and he went a couple rounds later, so, or a round later, was it? Fourth round. Fourth round. So, yeah, like on the one hand, there's some sympathy for knowing that it's hard to adjust in the league as a tight end. But on the other hand, it's like, well, the Bengals could have drafted DK Metcalf or stayed put and probably strategically gotten Dalton Reisner instead of letting the Denver Broncos pick back to back. They could have probably gotten something better. Greedy Williams. Both. Yeah. Greedy Williams, both this year and into the future with that pick, especially because this team just doesn't use tight ends. That's the biggest part about it for me. So yes, on the one hand, Give him time. He might turn into a better... He probably will be a better player in the future. Here's the thing. We're not hard on Drew Sample. We're hard on the Bengals. It's not about yeah. Drew Sample. I like Drew Sample as a prospect. I we I was happy the Bengals got him. I gave him to the Bengals in the sixth round. The problem is it's a big difference when you're spending a premium pick on a guy that has some risk to him and he's known as a blocker when someone like Foster Moreau, who now has two touchdowns, who's playing really well as the number two tight end for the Raiders and is a good blocker, was a similar blocker to uh, Drew Sample from LSU, goes in the fifth round. And it's like, yeah, that's where those guys are supposed to go. And, you know, you, so you got the lowest amount of value. It's so the, the complaining and the criticism is towards the Bengals. It is not towards Drew Sample. I hope Sample is excellent. It's still a bad pick unless he becomes a superstar and they knew something we all didn't. All right, our next question comes from Evan McPhillips, who's been on the podcast before, PFFSyn at emcphil on Twitter. Can you talk about Dalton's ability or lack thereof to look off defenders? Do you feel like he's telegraphing more than he has in your past? Could this be part of the reason for a sharp uptick in batted passes on pace for about 20, whereas his previous career high is 17, all the way back in 2011? And we talked about the batted passes once. He's been right in the middle of the league for batted passes the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, he normally um, he has been in the 10 to 15 range from the early part of his career, and then it seemed like when he went to uh, Hugh Jackson, it cut down to like 8 to 12, and then afterwards with Laser and Zampezi, it was actually down to 8 to 10, which is a, a, on the low end. So he's gotten better throughout his career. Now he's on pace to have a bunch of batted balls again. I wonder if that, you know, I when I, my first thought was, and Evan knows this. He's asking. I know he knows the answers to this stuff, or he has his own opinion. Opinion. I'd like to know what he thinks about it. But uh, I, my first re- uh, thought was, well, let me look at eleven, and then let me look at thirteen, or no, fourteen was Hugh Jackson's first year. Let me see if new offense or new system slowed Dalton down a little bit, or made him need to see the receivers, or need need to see him get open before throwing it. Because I kind of feel like that's what we're getting sometimes right now. Uh, he knows he needs to get it out quickly, and that gets the pass rushers up in in. In, in the passing lanes and, and knowing to get their hands up at two to 2.5 seconds. And they've been, they've had a lot of success there, but he is also, I feel like looking a little bit earlier before he throws. Uh, obviously you want to see your, your target and see your guy before you, before you send it out there. But um, you see the way the other quarterbacks move and, and especially like guys that are on that spectrum, like Tom Brady and Drew Brees, the best of those are just so sharp and quick that you really ever, rarely ever get a chance to bat those balls. Plus, the one thing that I think is very underrated, and I'm watching Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson in that game this weekend, those guys will change their arm angle constantly. Like, there'll be a rusher in their face or, or a guy jumping up, and it's no problem for them to drop their elbow and, and toss it out there. And 
we don't ever see Andy Dalton do that really, or unless he's like scrambling and then we might get something, but in the pocket, no. Yeah. I think the one other thing I'll add there is that he might just be getting rid of the ball so quickly and defenses know the ball is coming out quickly. So they're just getting their hands up They're They're, they're noticing quick sets from pass blockers and they're like, okay, I'm not going to affect this play, but I'll get my hands yeah. up and they're just getting their hands on the ball. And on those quick sets, He's not looking off, guys. He's he's not looking off defensive linemen. So if defensive linemen see where his eyes are and they know that it's one or two reads, it's easy to get their hands up. Two things, Evan, I want you to look up. Number one, uh, what are the times of the batted balls? And then number yeah. two, uh, are they his, his peak years, are they when he gets rid of the ball the fastest? Do those correlate? He's always been good when he gets rid of the ball fast. No, I mean, uh, do the batted balls uh. increase because he's been as as slow as like 2.5 right now he's at 2.27 so in that range there is you know the faster the more batted balls yeah. or is there no correlation next yeah, question from oh i'm I, sorry you I got was, more i was just going to say i don't know if that's going to be persistent year to year i think sure. that this year cuz in the past it wasn't as predictable this year it's like to protect himself the, the one other thing i was going to just throw in there is it it's looked and especially last week looks like his mechanics are kind of like Mm-hmm. in in the disjointed toilet. like yeah. he's he's all arm sometimes and that looks yeah. really ugly it looks like he's shot putting a lot of balls because he knows yeah. the pressure's coming and he's like i gotta get rid of it now and this is yeah. the only way i can do it so i think that might be contributing a little bit too i i think he's just broken it's one of the reasons i focused on burrow uh with pressure because Dalton is also feeling pressure consistently and how do you react? How do you throw? How can you buy more time despite getting uh, pressure in your face? And we know Dalton's not great in that scenario. We see a lot of times now he's ends up throwing some junk balls or, or drifting back in his throws, or as we saw Bobby Hart get mad at him because he drifted back too far and ended up getting sacked, which that's a whole other conversation. Next question is from Ali Viper 13. He says, why aren't the Bengals trading some players away and hoarding picks? I don't know, man. Right. <laughs> I maybe, actually have an answer. I, I mean, maybe the Bengals, you know, get through this week and then they have the bye. They can still make trades, right? Yeah. So they, they can play the game in London and then make all their trades Monday, Tuesday. But That's right. Uh, oh, maybe that's it, actually. Maybe they're, they're worried, like, if they need to bring somebody up because they trade away somebody who's going to play significant snaps, they won't be able to get, like, a passport ready for them. Or something. And they're leaving Thursday. They're, they're leaving, leaving Thursday. As you, you might be already on a plane by the time you're listening to this. You're not going to get anyone out there. You kind of, I mean, you could do it. But at the same time, you have more than enough time to get back and do it Monday and Tuesday. And that's when trades are going to go down. I'm surprised we already seen trades so far. But I will say the Bengals probably won't be as active as they should be because they overvalue their own players. And we've seen this not only when it comes to resigning guys, but when they wouldn't take just a second-round pick for A.J. McCarron a, a couple Halloweens ago. And they said, oh, no, we want another pick. And that, it came all the way down to the wire. You just take that second-round pick, that, that deal's done at noon at lunchtime, and we never re- have to hear about it ever again. Instead, they fought for the next four hours for a third-rounder. Uh, and they would have gotten it, but fax machines and all that. So I think they value guys too much. Just like, I think if somebody offered... Here's a second round pick for AJ Green. I don't think they would take it. I think they'd say, "No, we like him. He's our guy. You know, he fits in. He's still really good. We don't retire a Bengal." And I think even if a team came back with like the, the like the Patriots, you expect to have the last one or two picks in the draft and say, "Okay, a first rounder." I still don't think they would do it. I'm not convinced they would either. 
Yeah. That's, the, uh, that, that's what I meant when I said, I don't know. Because the value we do has know. to match up. We yeah. do know why the Bengals don't trade players. It's because, they, like Joe said, they overvalue them. They're not going to trade them unless they're blown away. Look at the trades they made. Or, or they're ready to be done with the guy, right? Like Chad Johnson. They're ready to be done with him. They turned down earlier. What was it? They got a second and a third offer for him or something? Or at least From Washington? a second. Or was that a first rounder? Whatever it was. It might have been two second rounders, actually. I can't remember anymore. But they yeah. got a really good offer for Chad Johnson a year or two before they two traded him for a fifth rounder. Two years before they rounder. got a fifth. Yeah. Exactly. So exactly. they miss the boat on this sometimes. And that's just the nature of the organization and, and the way they overvalue their own product. And that's why you see the Bengals with this high homegrown percentage. They're not going out into free agency. They're just, they, they, they got lucky essentially, and they, they built their way through only the draft and minor free agent acquisitions into the playoffs with Carson Palmer twice with Andy Dalton four or five years in a row. And they think, oh, we can do this. And then the last three years have been exactly what you would expect for a team with that team building philosophy. Exactly. I put up polls or questions all the time on Twitter. Uh, would you trade Joe Mixon? Would you trade AJ Green? You get a overwhelming usually right now because of the situation they're in of, yes, I would trade them or I would entertain offers. But if I put up there, would you take a third for AJ Green? Then that would shift completely to no. If I said, would you take a third for Joe Mixon? It would shift probably mostly to no. So it it comes down to value has to meet. Yeah, I I would trade everyone, but I'm not going to just give people away either. I would want fair value for what I felt that guy's worth. Especially when you look around the league at some of the trades that are being made, like most of these you're thinking like, okay, that's actually good news for the for sellers. Like it looks like it's the seller's market a little bit. Yeah, it might be. So Mohamed Sanu, second round pick. Good shout out to Mohamed Sanu. I don't know if we've got a chance to talk to that. He seems like a, a consummate pro, good guy. He's a perfect patriot. I'm glad he got to go there and finish off his career. And I agree with everyone that says he's guaranteed to throw a touchdown in the Super Bowl this year. Can't wait to see it. It's gonna be a beauty. It's gonna be a perfect throw. Gonna hit. I don't know who's a wide receiver on that team. Doesn't matter. That's going to do it for the Lockdown Bengals podcast today. We have a lot of questions yet to get to. And if tomorrow is a slow news day, the Bengals are on a plane after all, we might do another segment of mailbag questions. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wildcard exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason. Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.